the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. 15th of November. Can you believe it? Thanksgiving is next week. Merry Christmas, Chris. Uh, by the way, James Blend is producer. Chris Williams engineering today's program. Today we'll uh, certainly take a look at the day's news, but we're also going to hear from Owen Strahan, author of Christianity and Wokeness, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel and the way to stop it. We're also going to take a look at Russell Moore. He's written an article uh, recently on fame saying it's a fake version of friendship and it's... um, it's having a negative impact, this pursuit of fame on young people in particular. We'll talk more about that in the second hour of today's program. First, taking a look at some of the day's uh, headlines. The president signed the $1 trillion, $1.75 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill into law at a ceremony at the White House uh, today. This law is a blue-collar blueprint for America, the president said in a speech prior to the signing. Next year will be the first year in 20 years American infrastructure investment will grow faster than China's, he Marked, uh, will once again have the best roads, bridges, ports, airports over the next decade. End quote. Well, the legislation allocates $550 billion in new spending over five years toward building and repairing roads, bridges, airports, and railways, as well as funds for electric vehicles and charging stations. The bill also renews existing spending on transportation projects. The nonpartisan uh, Congressional Budget Office estimated that the bill will uh, add $256 billion to the federal deficit over the next 10 years. In a report from August, much of uh, Republican opposition to the legislation focused on its price. Representative Dan Crenshaw, for example, he's a Republican out of Texas, called the bill too expensive in a video message earlier this month before its passage. This is what can happen when Republicans and Democrats say we're going to work together to get something done. Senator Rob Portman, a Republican from Ohio, said at the signing ceremony, Portman was one of 19 Republican senators who voted for the legislation in August. Senator Kirsten Sinema praised the negotiations of a group of 10 senators who hammered out details of the legislation. This is what it looks like when elected officials set aside differences, shut out the noise and focus on delivering results on the issues that matter most to everyday Americans, end quote. Well, the signing comes just over a week after the House passed uh, the bill. 228 to 206, 13 Republicans voted in favor of the legislation. The Senate passed it 69 to 30 back in August. Um, this trillion-dollar infrastructure bill continues to spend money our country doesn't have, and contrary to lots of Enron-style accounting claims, no, it won't pay for itself. That's what Senator Ben Sass said in a statement at the time. Yes, infrastructure is important, but doing it the right way is more important. Well, the president and congressional Democrats are still attempting to pass a $1.75 trillion spending package via budget reconciliation in the Senate, which would allow the bill to pass via a simple majority and avert a filibuster. If there's a filibuster, it will not pass. At the signing ceremony, Vice President Kamala Harris called for passage of that package. The infrastructure bill, as significant as it is, as historic as it is, is part of, of a part one of two, she said. 
to lower costs and cut taxes for working families to tackle the climate crisis at its core. Congress must also pass the Build Back Better Act. Well, there's lots of controversy as to whether or not the claims that are being made are accurate. But that particular piece of legislation not only passed as an emergency last week, but was signed into law today. Well, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals of Appeals has rebuked the president's sledgehammer vax mandate. No, I don't think it should be mandatory, said Joe Biden of the covid vaccine back in December of last year. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki asserted in May, I wouldn't anticipate that we would be putting requirements on private sector companies. That same month, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said it may very well be that local businesses, local jurisdictions will work toward vaccine mandates, but that is going to be locally driven and not federally driven. Well, circling back to uh, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary in July, she added, can we mandate vaccines across the country? No, that's not a role that the federal government, I think, even has the power to make, end quote. Well, in August, the all-knowing Dr. Anthony Fauci said you're not going to see a central mandate coming from the federal government. This is apparently an alternative universe. Well, aiming to do anything to distract from the disaster in Afghanistan, the president reversed himself in September, went ahead and mandated vaccinations for workers at companies with more than 100 employees. That affects roughly 80 million Americans, many of whom are going to or have already lost their uh, their jobs. We're sure it's uh, totally unrelated that another record 4.4 million people quit their jobs in September after a previous record of 4.3 million did so in August. Our patience is wearing thin, President Unity lectured the unvaccinated upon announcing the mandate and the feeling is mutual. His order was to be enforced by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration via an emergency temporary standard. Well, don't miss the irony of a temporary order mandating a supposedly permanent vaccine. OSHA also enlisted the help of workplace snitches to help the compliance assistance. Beginning on the 4th of January, OSHA could find employees $13,653 per employee who isn't compliant with the mandate. Never before had OCHA uh, been granted such sweeping authority. Well, on the 6th of November, a three-judge panel on the Fifth Circuit temporarily blocked the president's mandate, agreeing with the first iteration of the Biden administration. On Friday, that panel reaffirmed and added to its rebuke. OSHA must take no steps to implement or enforce the mandate until further court order, the unanimous judges said. Judge Kurt Engelhardt also wrote the mandate's true purpose is not to enhance workplace safety, but instead to ramp up vaccine uptake by any means necessary, end quote. Well, the administration admitted as much by shrugging off the first day. White House Deputy uh, Press Secretary Karen Jean-Pierre told employers to continue to move forward and make sure they're getting their workplace vaccinated. Well, the judges ruled uh, the mandate failed three tests, constitutional, statutory and procedural. The OSHA rule likely exceeds the federal government's authority under the Commerce Clause because it regulates non-economic inactivity that falls squarely within the state's police powers, the panel said. A person's choice to remain unvaccinated and forego regular testing is non-economic inactivity. Memo to the Supreme Court on Obamacare. Well, it goes on from there. The point being, the court is saying not so fast. This, uh, as I mentioned, has three um, tests that it apparently has failed. I'm referring to the mandate. Constitutional, statutory, and procedural. The, The story is developing. We'll continue to follow it and report to you what happens next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Second hour of the program, Owen Strahan, Christianity and Wokeness. Well, in a classic instance of an end-of-the-week news dump, the Washington Post last Friday afternoon published an article acknowledging that it had issued corrections to two of its investigative articles on the bogus Christopher Steele dossier, one from March of 2017, the other from February of 2019. The Post stated that the two articles in question had identified a Belarusian-American businessman as the key source of the Steele dossier, but now it could no longer stand by the accuracy of those elements of the story. It could no longer stand because because the Post got caught pushing fake news, for which they won a Nobel Prize. Well, as John Durham's investigation is slowly but steadily identified and honed in on the conspirators involved in creating and orchestrating the Trump-Russian collusion hoax, the latest uh, uh, being an indictment of Russian-American analyst Igor Danchenko on five counts of lying to the FBI, the Post is now engaged in damage control. The Post and its fellow left media outlet, the New York Times, were two of the biggest pushers of the uh, Russian collusion hoax. And for this intrepid journalism, they were awarded Pulitzer Prize. I say the Nobel, it was Pulitzer. A Pulitzer for the best purveyors of fake news, evidently, but we digress. Anyway, the Post sought to uphold the Steele dossier's legitimacy as it was the primary evidence underpinning the FBI's justification for targeting Donald Trump. Well, lawmakers led by Representative Adam Schiff, the ranking member on the House Intelligence Committee, repeatedly touted Steele and his dossier. Schiff insisted that he had personally seen evidence of Trump's having colluded with Russia, evidence that Schiff was never able to produce, and evidence that uh, even a Democrat-heavy legal team led by special counsel Robert Mueller was unable able to uncover after nearly a two-year investigation. So not only is there no there there, but as far as uh, any Trump-Russia collusion plot, what is in fact there to uh, uh, is so uh, condemning that the Post is running a stunning correction piece is a uh, in a desperate bid to regain some semblance of journalistic credibility. However, one who has uh, no regrets is Schiff. When asked recently if he regretted giving credibility to the Steele dossier, he answered, I don't uh, regard saying that we should investigate claims of someone who, frankly, was a well-respected British intelligence officer. In other words, no, even though he's been discredited along with the other cronies who were involved. But he added a lame excuse. We couldn't have known, of course, years ago that we would learn years later that someone who was a primary source lied to him. However, Schiff made it clear that anything to smear Trump, uh, Trump rather was worth it. Steele did reveal that the Russians were trying to help elect Donald Trump, he argued. That turned out to, to uh, be all too true. Well, no. What turned out to be true was Trump's repeated claim that the collusion allegations were fake news. Now, you don't have to support Trump to support the the truth coming out on this uh, dossier, because these sorts of things can go both ways. Uh, it may not be the guy you support today. It may be the guy you support tomorrow, who is the object of this kind of false and um Investigation. Well, as Durham pulls back the curtain on the Hillary Clinton campaign's plot to tar Trump as a Russian stooge, it appears the primary source for some of the most salacious claims in the infamous dossier is longtime Democrat operative Charles Dolan. Even the the Post is now acknowledging this, the egg on its Pulitzer notwithstanding. By the way, there have been calls for the uh, award to be withdrawn or for the Washington Post and New York Times to return it. I'm guessing neither will be the case. I've got over a thousand soldiers ready to go locked and loaded. And that's a quote from uh, Malik Austin. 
Those were angry words from one Malik Austin. He's a known Black Lives Matter agitator who showed up at a Fort Worth Independent School District meeting last week to support the doctrine known as critical race theory and a, to denounce and threaten district parents who don't happen to share his views. Now, he didn't even uh, have the decency to address the school board. Instead, he turned his back to the board and let loose on uh, with a, a um, screed aimed directly at the other parents in attendance. My First Amendment rights, he yelled, apparently unaware that there's an awfully blurry line when it comes to the First Amendment and intimidating or threatening others with violence. This was an actual case of uh, the actual threat of violence. And the question is, where is the attorney general? Where is the Justice Department? Um, a far left activist in an, um, a board meeting threatened parents all because they criticized critical race theory. The activist said that he would bring 1000 soldiers and that he will be um, locked and loaded next time, referring to the meeting. Well, all we want to know is where's the National School Boards Association? Where's its letter to the Biden administration denouncing this straight up threat of violence? And this is not a a veiled threat. This is not one that they're having some difficulty proving. Where's uh, its righteous hand wringing about acts of malice and heinous acts and domestic terrorism and hate crimes? And where is its call to Attorney General Merrick Garland for the joint expedited review by the U.S. Department of Justice, Education, Homeland Security, along with the appropriate training, coordination, investigation? Investigations and enforcement mechanism from the FBI, including any technical assistance necessary from the state and local coordination with its national uh, security branch and counterterrorism division, as well as any other federal agency with relevant jurisdictional authority and oversight. Because that's what uh, parents who have been attending these meetings, opposing not just CRT, but other elements within the curriculum and practice, have been threatened with. And where's A.G. Gardland uh, for that matter? Just a few weeks ago, he was eager to collaborate with the NSBA to bring the power of the federal government to bear on local school board meetings and to crack down on concerned parents. And while we're at it, where's that um, band of investigative journalists from Reuters? Uh, Thomas Gallatin reported the Global News Bureau recently produced Campaign of Fear, a nearly 5,000 word screed that details how it tracked down a total of nine individuals among Donald Trump's 74 million voters who directed uh, threatening messages towards six elections officials in four states. And as Gallatin notes, none of these individuals who believe the 2020 election results to be fraudulent have been charged by law enforcement. And yet where the actions of Malik Austin are concerned, all we hear are crickets. After he'd exceeded his allotted 60 seconds of time and continued to rant, Austin was escorted out of the room by law enforcement. I'll bring my soldiers with me next time, he said, locked and loaded. Everyone there felt threatened, said one of the grandmothers um, in the Fort Worth uh, ISD, the school district, um, that Austin had attended an August school board meeting uh, in tactical gear. Well, Austin, for his part, said he wasn't threatening anyone. Okay, maybe I've completely misunderstood what locked and loaded meant and a thousand soldiers uh, but he uh, said that uh, he, in fact, was not threatening anyone. First Amendment rights, freedom of speech need to be implemented, he said, claiming that locked and loaded is a term he used to use uh, when coaching football. Nice try, but I'm not buying it. Well, he ridiculously compared opposition to CRT to the racist Jim Crow politics of the past, which is an unintended indictment of the uh, sorry state of our educational system.
Well, in other news, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki defended Vice President Kamala Harris's position in the Biden administration on Sunday amid her sinking poll numbers. For anyone who needs to hear it, Vice President is not only a vital partner to the President of the United States, but a bold leader who has taken on key important challenges facing the country from voting rights to addressing root causes of migration to expanding broadband, Psaki tweeted. Uh, her tweet came after uh, Harris's office appeared to respond to a CNN article on Sunday that suggested dysfunction within the president's team. Game of Thrones, anyone? Is it, uh, it is unfortunate, rather, that after a productive trip to France in which we reaffirmed our relationship with America's oldest ally and demonstrated U.S. leadership on the world stage, and following passage of an historic bipartisan infrastructure bill that would create jobs and strengthen our communities, some in the media are focused on gossip, not on the results that the president and vice president have delivered. Simone Sanders, uh, who serves as senior advisor and chief spokesperson for the vice president, wrote, well, CNN reporters um, Edward Isaac DeVere and Jasmine Wright published an article titled Exasperation and Dysfunction Inside Kamala Harris's Frustrating Start as Vice President. Well, the article highlighted uh, repeated conflicts between the president, uh, excuse me, the vice president, her staff and the White House. Harris was recently panned for her overseas trip to France after visiting a COVID-19 lab in Paris where she apparently used a French accent. The recent polls showed her approval ratings below Biden's with a 28 percent approval rating among Americans. In other developments, uh, uh, Kamala Harris spokeswoman slammed CNN's gossip reporting and Catholic bishops plan to mention responsibility but avoid criticizing the president on abortion at their conference. Their teaching document about the sacrament of communion makes no mention of the president by name. A political report raises questions on the Biden administration's respect for press freedom, calling it beyond belief. And Kamala Harris asked how the France trip would prepare her for the presidency. Well, President Biden named former New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu as senior advisor and infrastructure coordinator. The president named the former uh, mayor uh, as senior advisor, uh, coordinator of the one trillion dollar infrastructure bill. The White House confirmed yesterday Landrieu, who uh, led New Orleans from 2010 to 2018, was also a lieutenant governor for Louisiana. The White House said they chose him because of his experience leading the city, as well as his relationships with leaders on both state and municipal levels. Landrieu will be uh, helping to supervise and coordinate the infrastructure bill by working through the National Economic Council. In this role, role rather, Landrieu will oversee the most significant and comprehensive investments in American infrastructure in generations, work that independent experts verify will create millions of high-paying jobs, union jobs, while boosting our economy, our competitiveness in the world, strengthening our supply chains, and acting against inflation for the long term, the White House said. Well, according to the Wall Street Journal chief policy officers at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Neil Bradley, he says appointing someone with the background and experience of having been a mayor and a state official responsible for infrastructure projects sends an important signal that the administration is focused on delivering on the promises and the opportunities that this bill presents. Well, the announcement comes a day before, came, I should, before the president signed the infrastructure bill into law during a ceremony at the White House today, during which he uh, was accompanied by a bipartisan group of lawmakers and business leaders. And other uh, developments, Celtics Enes Cantor, he challenged the president to press uh, Chairman Xi uh, on Human rights issues and a top Biden economic advisor says the one point seven five trillion dollar spending bill will reduce inflation. Senator Ted Cruz says the trillion dollar cruel spending spree is not what uh, Joe Biden campaigned on. 
Well, we'll continue uh, uh, our look at the news when we return here in just a moment. But I do need to take a break. And once again, we'll hear from Owen Strahan coming up in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, an MSNBC anchor was deemed Stephanie Antoinette after arguing that Americans can afford more expensive groceries. Uh, MSNBC Stephanie Rule argued that, uh, well, we have a have to put the high inflation rate and rising costs of food and other everyday items in perspective on Monday from her highly paid seat at MSNBC. Well, the consumer price index rose 6.2 percent year over year in October. That's according to the Department of Labor, the largest annual gain since November of 1990. And prices rose 0.9 percent month over month. But the soaring costs rule said on NBC. We're expected after the worldwide pandemic because uh, before telling anchor Willie Geis that Americans on average can actually afford the higher prices. Well, the dirty little secret here, Willie, while nobody likes to pay more on average, we have the money to do so, she says. Household savings hit a record high over the pandemic. We didn't really have anywhere to go out uh, and spend. Uh, She added that the U.S. is expecting record retail sales this year. Home values are up and the stock market is experiencing record highs to justify her argument. Well, conservative pundits predicted that if adopted by the Democrats, the kind of messaging that she is espousing will derail their chances in the next round of elections. Well, that aside. Most of us aren't thinking about that at this moment. We're thinking about whether or not we're going to be able to afford to heat our homes, put gas in the car and feed the family. Others referred to rule as Stephanie Antoinette in reference to Marie Antoinette, the arrogant uh, queen of France during the French Revolution. Well, inflation is credited as one of the driving factors causing uh, senators like Joe Manchin from supporting the president's social spending bill. The bill is reportedly dropped from $3.5 trillion price tag to under $2 trillion. The president argued the reconciliation bill will help reduce inflation. And we're waiting for the Congressional Budget Office to actually come up with numbers. In other developments, an MSNBC host targeted white men in the trucking industry because we're all divided up into colorful groups now. Uh, Jan Yellen, or Janet Yellen, tried the end of inflation to the successful response to COVID, the pandemic. CNN's Brian Stetler is being accused of mocking the very real concerns of working parents with a grocery store photo. And that's uh, fairly common with uh, uh, talking heads in the media. They have very little sympathy for families who are struggling. Time magazine sarcastically cheered for top notch messaging after blaming consumers for the supply chain crisis. It's your fault. We can't get the goods and services off of those uh, cargo ships. Mark Levin called out the liberal media for not viewing Americans as individual human beings. Well, in other news, a nine year old boy who suffered injuries at the World Festival is the 10th person to die. The left tries to blame Republicans for the downfall of one of their favorite words. Democrats have begun shunning the word woke. In fact, it's now considered racist for anyone other than an African-American to use it. I happen to be one, so I'm good. One state's National Guard isn't enforcing the president's vaccine mandate. And Russian military activity is putting the Biden administration on notice. The ACLU is a warning of the precedent set by the Department of Justice raid of Project Veritas, saying there will be serious consequences. Elon Musk slammed Bernie Sanders for demanding the wealthy pay their fair share. It's never quite 
accurately uh, define what that fair share is. Pete Buttigieg's star is rising as the one trillion dollar Biden agenda shifts toward him to implement it all. A Democrat governor won't forgive businesses for first time covid rule violations. Michigan's Whitmer vetoed the GOP bill to forgive businesses for first time covid rule violations. Well, the Hoffa era is over as the new top negotiator is coming to the Teamsters. Well, CNN's homepage was uh, covered in Kamala Harris versus Biden stories with their main story explaining worn out by what they see as entrenched dysfunction and lack of focus. Key West Wing aides have largely thrown up their hands at Vice President Kamala Harris and her staff, deciding there simply isn't time to deal with them right now, especially at a moment when the president faces quickly multiplying legislative and political concerns. The exasperation runs both ways. Interviews with nearly three dozen former and current Harris aides, administration officials, Democratic Operatives, donors and outside advisors who spoke extensively to CNN reveal a complex reality inside the White House. Many in the vice president's circle fume that she's not being adequately prepared or positioned and instead is being sidelined. The vice president herself has told several confidants she feels constrained in what she's able to do politically. And those around her remain wary of even hinting at future political ambitions with Biden's team highly attuned to signs of disloyalty, particularly from the vice president. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if that was part of uh, Joe Biden's strategy? If you remember the back and forth during the uh, debate in which she shredded the then candidate Joe Biden. And I think most people were shocked when she was selected to run as his running mate. Maybe the the plan was to ultimately put an end to her political career. Now, that's unsubstantiated speculation on my part, but uh, you can throw it out now. Um, you know, it's bad when CNN has to admit it. Eric Erickson on the subject says, when you choose your vice president for race and gender concerns and not experience, you get this disaster. Dan McLaughlin says, which president turned hardest on his VP? Jefferson tried to have Aaron Burr convicted and executed for treason. Van Buren ran without a running mate in 1840 rather than renominate Richard Johnson. Pretty high bar. And Donald Trump has not been pretty unkind to his vice president, despite that vice president's loyalty to him. Well, Jen Psaki posted a curious tweet in support of the vice president attempting to, uh, I don't know, paint things over. According to the latest ABC News poll, President Biden hit a new low in his approval rating. The story notes Republican congressional candidates currently hold their largest lead in midterm election vote preferences in ABC News Washington Post polls dating back 40 years, underscoring profound challenges for Democrats hoping to retain their slim majorities in Congress next year. Jim Garrity points out, what if significant numbers of Americans who support COVID-19 vaccination aren't so supportive of vaccine mandates and people lose Losing their jobs because they don't want to get vaccinated. What if Americans think past infection and natural immunity should uh, factor into their decisions? What if Biden's mandate now comes across as an excessive use of government power? If only someone could have warned Democrats that their agenda was unpopular and that their tone, rhetoric and attitudes were alienating. That in the Washington Excuse me, the National Review. United Nations gave the names of Uyghur dissidents to the Chinese who then targeted their families. From that story, the United Nations, the very institution created to reaffirm faith and fundamental human rights, is assisting China in its violent effort to wipe out the Uyghurs by helping the CCP cover its tracks. These were the findings of a recent report by Le Monde 
about the effort of U.N. human rights officers turned whistleblower Emma Riley. Riley claims that prior to every U.N. Human Rights Council session in recent years, China has requested the names of Uyghur and other Chinese dissidents who were scheduled to speak. And despite this being explicitly forbidden by the U.N.'s own rules, the U.N., according to Riley, has made it a practice to share this information with Chinese authorities who use it to harass the dissidents' families who are still based in China. 500 Wisconsin National Guard troops have been activated ahead of the Rittenhouse verdict. Closing arguments were and are today. The verdict expected shortly. The ACLU blasted the FBI raid of Project Veritas, but the far-left ACLU couldn't help beginning their statement with Project Veritas has engaged in disgraceful deceptions and reasonable observers might not consider their activity to be journalism at all before admitting, nevertheless, the precedent set in this case could have serious consequences for press freedom. Hundreds of U.K. troops are ready to deploy to the the Ukraine border as tensions rise with fears of a possible Russian invasion. This follows a Russian buildup at the border. Oklahoma's governor says the National Guard won't have vaccine forced upon them. Uh, For now, Governor Kevin Stitt says the troops in his state won't be forced to get the shot, citing his authority over them in all cases, except when they're under federal jurisdiction. And Austria has started a lockdown for unvaccinated people, one of many countries that joined Biden in his efforts to shame and destroy those who reject vaccination. A Washington Post columnist asked, is there a point at which the unvaccinated need to be prosecuted? Think about that for a moment. Shoplifters in Connecticut took $1,600 in merchandise and in the new era, nobody stopped them. Instead, people simply recorded it and posted it, ignoring the need to call the police. Police said that they... um, didn't receive a 911 call until 10 minutes after the crime had occurred, allowing the criminals to have fled far from the scene. Had the 911 call come in, we can look at anything in retrospective. It could have been handled much differently. We could have at least attempted to intervene. But people are more interested in posting uh, and demonstrating that they were in the middle of some big event. Well, nations reached a climate change agreement, but as always, follow through is in doubt. In another case of accepted double standards, the climate conference carbon footprint doubled from last summit and climate star uh, John Kerry on mass atrocities. That's not my lane. So he doesn't have to concern himself. The federal appeals court wisely extended the stay on Joe Biden's vaccine one size fits all sledgehammer for large businesses. And Steve Bannon has been taken into custody on contempt charges. Washington Post issued corrections on their bogus steel dossier stories. So uh, when will it uh, be returning its Pulitzer? Hmm. Jen Psaki does damage control for the vice president and NSBA. Well, they coordinated with the White House and the Department of Justice before sending their notorious domestic terrorist letter referring to parents. Joe Manchin is opposed to the president's FDA nominee, citing ties to the greed of the pharmaceutical industry, which is in favor right now. Well, the FBI's email system has been hacked to send fake cyber attack alerts and Taliban held a military parade with U.S. made weapons. I guess there's no big surprise there. It's just heartbreaking. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. And keep in mind, coming up in the second hour, Owen Strahan, Christianity and Wokeness. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to let you know tomorrow on the program, we're going to be joined by Holt International. There's a need. We're going to let you know all about it. Kids who are growing up on the dump And uh, it's not just growing up there. It's uh, the danger and some of the challenges for families. We'll tell you how you can help send them to school. 
all day right here on KPDQ, the Holt International Radiothon. Well, saying he's not a white supremacist, Kyle Rittenhouse's mother says Biden defamed her son. Tennessee's governor signed a sweeping COVID law barring vaccine mandates and passports. North Dakota's governor signed a bill banning critical race theory in schools. And parents are suing a Florida school district over colluding with their daughter to change her gender identity. A Florida school district finally dropped their mask mandate after an eight-year-old was suspended 38 times for refusing to comply. And the number of Americans quitting their jobs reached a record high of 4.4 million in September. Well, are you listening, Department of Justice? A Fort Worth uh, critical race theory defender tells parents he's got a thousand soldiers locked and loaded. But of course, he was only referring to football. I'm having trouble making the connection, but a transgender professor at Old Dominion University rebranded pedophiles as minor attracted persons. When will it end? Oh, Lord. Economic discontent and criticism of the president are lifting the GOP to record early advantage. And in a rare case of friendly fire, Senator Ron Wyden's millionaire son blasted his dad and cronies for hating the American dream. 1862, President Abraham Lincoln on this day in history signed an act establishing the Department of Agriculture. 1930, registered nurse Ellen Church, the first airline stewardess. She goes on duty aboard an Oakland to Chicago flight operated by Boeing Air Transport, a forerunner to United Airlines. On this day in history, 1988, the Soviet Union begins withdrawing its troops from Afghanistan more than eight years after Soviet forces entered the country. 1991, President George Herbert Walker Bush takes Queen Elizabeth to a Major League Baseball game between the Baltimore Orioles and Oakland Athletics. 2008, California's Supreme Court declares same-sex couples in the state can marry, a victory for the gay rights movement that would be overturned the following November by the passage of Proposition 8 which would ultimately be struck down by the courts. On this day in history, 2013, an international team of scientists announces the first successful cloning of human cells. And finally, on this day in history, 2014, President Barack Obama dedicates the National September 11th Memorial and Museum deep beneath ground zero, calling it a symbol that says of America, nothing can ever break us. I wish that were true, that nothing could ever break us. Sadly, I think we're breaking ourselves up. Well, Democrat Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont announced uh, today that he will not seek reelection next year, opting to retire from the Senate. Leahy is 81. He's the longest serving sitting senator, having been in office since 1975, following his election in 1974. He's currently the president pro tempore of the Senate. I have reached the conclusion that it's time to put down the gavel, Leahy said. It is time to pass the torch to the next uh, Vermonter who will carry on this work for our Great state. It's time to come home. Well, Leahy uh, made his announcement at the Vermont State uh, House, where he launched his first campaign uh, in 1974. His news opens the door for a handful of Vermont Democrats who may seek to succeed him. Among the potential contenders, Representative Peter Welch, Vermont Senate President uh, Pro Tempore Becky, or rather Becca Belint, State Senator Keisha Ram Hinsdale, and Lieutenant Governor Molly Gray. Prior to Leahy's announcement, no Republican had launched a 2022 bid for the Senate in the blue state of Vermont, which now President Biden carried by 30 points um, last November, and Leahy won re-election in 2016 by 28 points. Republican um, Governor Bill Scott of Vermont praised Leahy as an incredible champion for Vermonters whose leadership and experience has ensured our state is well represented in Congress. Well, former Congressman, Democratic presidential candidate and Senate candidate Beto O'Rourke 
announced Monday that he's running for governor of Texas, setting himself up for a potential 2022 general election battle with incumbent Republican Governor Greg Abbott. I'm running for governor, O'Rourke said in a video announcement on Monday. Together, we can push past the small and divisive politics that we see in Texas today and get back to the big, bold vision that used to divine Texas, he added in a tweet. O'Rourke enters a Democratic Party field that um, didn't yet include any high-profile names. Abbott, meanwhile, will have to fend off primary challenges from Texas uh, GOP Chairman Alan West and former state uh, Senator Don Huffins. O'Rourke is, in his announcement video, attacked Republican uh, Texas Republicans on a number of issues, including the cat- catastrophic power grid failure last winter. Uh, Republicans, meanwhile, dismissed the idea that the perennial candidate has a chance of being the state's next governor. Texas voters have already rejected Beto O'Rourke for statewide office, and they'll do so again now that they know just how radical he really is. That's a quote from Republican Governors Association spokesperson Joanna Rodriguez in a statement. Well, the principal of a Texas high school decided to remove restroom doors in order to get a grip on drug use and other significant behavioral events that have already occurred this year, according to a report. Now she means well, but is that the right solution? Christina Steele Hatgen, the principal of Austin's ISD, Travis Early College High School, sent a letter to parents explaining her decision while admitting that she could have done a better job communicating her plans. She said in the letter obtained by the uh, the local media that there have been behavioral events and conduct violations that have occurred inside these restrooms, including about 90 percent of drug offenses. She said there have been no indications uh, since taking down the doors. No stall can be viewed from the hallway outside. Uh, but they certainly can be viewed by anyone in the room. She didn't immediately respond to uh, after hours uh, calls for clarification, but the school exhausted other methods in dealing with the safety issues. Uh, One strategy was locking bathroom doors that could not be monitored, but the report said the process was taking up too much time. My number one priority is safety, she said in the letter. According to the report, removing the doors is one of many strategies we're planning or implementing to keep our campus safe as a learning environment. Just a sad commentary that um, there was so much drug activity in the restrooms that they had to consider something like this. I don't know if it's a solution, a good one or not, but there you have it. Well, the carbon footprint of COP26, the ongoing United Nations Climate Summit, is expected to double that of the previous conference held in 2019. The two-week uh, COP26 conference, which ends on the 12th, or, or ended, in Scotland, is projected to lead to about 102,500 metric tons of carbon dioxide and emissions According to a preliminary assessment commissioned by the U.N. from the British Professional Services, ARUP, that's the equivalent of more than 225.9 million pounds of carbon emissions. By comparison, COP25, the 2019 U.N. Climate Conference, emitted 51,101 metric cubic tons of carbon dioxide according to the New York Times. But environmental activists said immediate carbon emissions were necessary to solve climate change decades in the future. So there's always a reason for them to emit large amounts, but there is no reason for you to do it. If you have to rush your kid to the hospital, that's not good enough. But if they have to fly halfway across the country when you could do a Zoom conference, it's absolutely necessary. Well, the question shouldn't be, how do we reduce emissions at this type of event? But how do we spend up the fa- the uh, fa- speed up, rather, the phasing out of all fossil fuels in fossil finance, leverage the climate finance needed to support a global just transition so that we don't have to have these types of conferences in the first place? So my guess is once they, you know, 
pretty much figured that one out. They'll have other reasons to have conferences where they get together with uh, in fine hotels and have uh, lavish events and so on. Um, but again, you on the other hand, you need to go to the grocery store, get a bike. That's pretty much where that where that lands. All right. Well, coming up, we're going to hear from Owen Strahan, author of Christianity and Wokeness, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel and how to stop it. The book is published by Salem Books. We're also going to take a look at uh, uh, an article that was written on fame as a fake version of friendship and how it's stripping many young people of the value of life uh, they should enjoy at that stage. So we'll get into all of that in the second hour. But first, news and traffic. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Russell Moore wrote an interesting piece for Christianity Today that uh, the headline of which read, Fame is a fake version of friendship. We long to be known. We long to be loved. But false community won't get us there. And this is kind of a follow-up to much of what I'm reading about the nature of church, online or in person, and whether or not we become so comfortable with meeting, well, not really meeting at all, but doing the uh, online version when it's possible, and it's not possible for everyone to go to the church and meet with fellow believers. In any event, he writes that... uh Macaulay Culkin, a familiar name to many of us, uh, the 10-year-old who starred in the famous Christmas movie Home Alone. His younger brother, Kieran Culkin, he turned down multiple opportunities to be a child star. He learned by observation that he didn't want a life of fame, knowing it could lead to things like substance abuse, court uh, guardianship battles, and the like. We might be tempted to view the life choices of famous people like the Culkin brothers from a distance, but maybe we're looking into a collective mirror. Today, fame is not just something that happens to stars, child or otherwise. Thanks to the age of social media, many of us are turning into many stars, with the only real difference but being the size of our audience. Well, the recently leaked Facebook files that discuss the inner workings of the social media company include data about the harm Instagram usage inflicts on self-image of adolescents, especially teenage girls. Every child or teen faces a fear of judgment from their peers. They also fear being exiled from their social group. They also have other fears. However, the world of social media seems to heighten those dynamics where almost everyone is followed by a kind of paparazzi exposing and subjugating us to the approval or disapproval of their peers, acquaintances, and often complete strangers. One philosopher argued in his book, The School of Life, that one way to gauge our parenting is to ask your child whether they aspire to be famous. He says the quest for fame is different from other equally risky aspirations to acquire wealth, power or pleasure. The desire to be well known, he argues, is tied to the intimate desire to be liked and treated with justice and kindness by people they don't know. Fame is deeply attractive because it seems to offer very significant benefits, he writes. The fantasies go like this. When you are famous, wherever you go, your good reputation will precede you. People will think well of you because your merits have been impressively explained in advance. But the author goes on to say that the desire for fame has its roots in the experience of neglect or injury, adding that no one would want to be famous who hadn't also somewhere in the past been made to feel extremely insignificant. Well, if I'm famous, the subconscious argument goes, I will be free from facing any rejection or judgment. Not only will my parents admire me, but I will have an instant and safe community. However, the author says, and that's DeButton, 
Uh, The offer says the exact opposite is true. Fame makes people more, not less, vulnerable because it throws them open to unlimited judgment. Fame has also, or rather always been, a draw for at least some human beings. Our needs to look no further than the pyramid to conclude that. However, most people throughout human history begin their journey of self-discovery in the presence of a very limited audience, consisting mostly of extended family, a larger tribe, a local village. But today, impressionable young children are forming their identity through social media outlets, which encompass a, a much wider audience. Studies show that apps like Instagram are at uh, a risk to the psychological health of adolescents, and not simply because kids can be bullied online, although that does happen. Even when young people receive affirmation from this online collection of strangers, they will almost always seek to maintain that attention going forward. That is, even when someone is winning at their social media game, the fear of falling becomes uh, uh, all the more intense, like a a dimpled child star who worries that he will not be cast when he becomes a gangly adult. This kind of pressure is bad enough when someone is pursuing a career in film, but it can be far worse when it comes to somebody's life off screen. Well, the danger is there, not just for those who are crushed beneath the weight of others' judgment, but perhaps even more so for people who have learned um, coping mechanisms to protect themselves from the social judgment. Some end up as trolls who want to preemptively lash out at those who might hurt them, while others can become almost sociopathic in their numbness to others' opinions. Over time, they build a, a hard exoskeleton of cynicism, which can f- filter out not only the judgment of online strangers, but also the counsel of real-life friends. There are no easy answers here, especially as we move toward the next phase of connectedness in the metaverse or its equivalent. But as with most things, I believe the right response to the threat of social media influence is both individual and communal. Each of us needs to learn how to develop a rightful biblical individualism, which is to say that God receives us into his kingdom, not collective by collective, nation by nation or peer group by peer group, but one by one. The message you must be born again is not just directed generically to humanity or to the Pharisees, but to one particular Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was so fearful of losing status among his peers that he came to Jesus by night. Only when we realize that we personally stand before the face of God and that we will each give an account before the judgment seat of Christ, only then can we be freed from the countless many judgment seats that are formed around our lives on a daily basis. But what frees us is not just the vision of a singular judgment seat, but also the one who is seated in that place. It is the judgment seat of Christ alone. He is not someone who judges us on our impressive achievements, curated images, or status, according to some social system. Jesus is the one who came looking for us in the woods and then threw a party to rejoice when he found us. Luke 15, verses 3 through 7. That's why Paul could write to the Corinthians that he found it a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court, even his own judgment of himself. Instead, he could entrust himself to the judgment of a Christ who truly knew him, a serial killer with religious zeal, and loved him anyway. The communal side of the solution is realizing that kindness and community cannot be found universally or generically. Instead, we must look for, as Seth uh, Godin puts it, uh, from a marketing perspective, the smallest viable audience. That is why Jesus placed us all into the context of a church body, a group of people that actually gathers around a table. Elaine de Bottom rightly notes that there is no shortcut to friendship, which is what the famous person is, in effect, seeking. Indeed, there is not. 
As Christians, we know that true fellowship happens when gathered around bread and drink and confession and repentance, mission and service coming together with a triangle group of people in whose presence one can learn to love and be loved. There is no shortcut for that. Well, maybe that's what the church uniquely has to offer the world right now, not from the comfort of one's couch in the living room, but from the discomfort, perhaps, of a pew. That message that you can um, that you do not rather have to be famous to be known. You do not have to be perfect to be loved. You don't have to be proven right to be justified. Perhaps even child stars can become become as little children again. And even in a metaverse, none of us are home alone. Again, Russell Moore leads the Public Theology Project at Christianity Today, writing on the subject uh, that I think is near and dear to many of us, whether or not we acknowledge it. Fame is a fake version of friendship, whether we're seeking that before a camera, on a stage, or on social media. There are things much deeper, much more satisfying and fulfilling that will not strip us of a sense of our true value uh, before Christ. Something to think about. Well, tomorrow on the program, I'm looking forward to uh, sharing the message of Holt International. You know, there are whole families, whole communities that have been built up around garbage heaps. We're going to talk about one of them tomorrow and how you can help to um, make the prospects for the children who live with their families in this very tough and dangerous environment um, have the possibility of perhaps doing something else through education, Holt International has established schools right there at the dump. And we'll explain why that's significant and how you can help. That's coming up tomorrow uh, on the program. Hope Hamilton uh, Ackerman will join me. uh, And throughout the day here on KPDQ, you're going to hear more about Holt International. So keep your ears peeled, although I never quite got that phrase. You don't really want to peel your ears. But anyway, uh, keep your ears open. We'll put it that way. And uh, throughout the day, you hear more about Holt International and what we can do to help them in their efforts to provide hope and a new direction for young children who are being raised on these very dangerous, very harsh environments of the dump. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Chris Williams for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.